For those of us who've been around and heard so much teaching and have intellectual knowledge of these things, the way forward is by rediscovering that which we've let go. Well, good morning. It is a joy to be with you. And uh, again, I would like to join the rest of the country and saying congratulations on your 24th birthday anniversary. See, anniversary is a French word that means birthday, all right? So you can say it's your birthday, your anniversary. It is a joy to be with you. And uh, thank you to Pastor White for the opportunity and to the church. Thank you for the wonderful accommodations that uh, the church provided for me as well. And of course, thank you for your prayers and support this last uh, decade. And we've been there since 2013, and we've seen the Lord do some wonderful things. A very multicultural area where we are as well. And God has done things that went beyond, honestly, my expectations when we went. And we are so blessed to be able to be a part of it. And thank you for your part. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 8 for our Sunday school hour. Nehemiah chapter number 8. And I will be looking at verses 13 through 18. Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 13 through 18. How many of you, I'm going to raise my hand here, I'm telling you right, right away, how many would join me in raising hands and simply saying, I am not everything yet that God would want me to be? I will say that, all right, most of us agree on that, thank you, you can put your hands down. None of us have arrived yet. However, as a, when I come across some milestones, even for our church back home, or if I come across a milestone in my life, Sometimes I, I pause and I reflect on, on the past and look to the future, but as I do that, I ask myself this question, what are some areas in my life personally, or perhaps what are some areas in our lives collectively that perhaps we could improve in, where we could grow, where we could see the Lord transform us until we are more like Him? And as a church, I do that as well. It's going to be the 30th anniversary of a, a ministry in Quebec where I'll have a joy of participating next year. And as I speak with the leadership there, same idea of what have we done? We praise the Lord for it, but what are the next steps? What are now the areas in which we can continue to grow? Now, before I even read these verses, I'm gonna tell you there are some things in my life sometimes that I have not only do I need to learn, but sometimes I have to relearn or I have to rediscover. Now, let's not raise our hands on this one. But perhaps, in your heart, you would say, there was a time in my life when I was more passionate about praying than I am now. I don't know, perhaps you went to a revival meeting or simply any service, and the Lord dealt with you. Maybe you even came to the altar and you said, Lord, I want to be a greater prayer warrior. And that went for a while, but then eventually... That sort of fell away. Perhaps there was a time in your life when you were a much more zealous and consistent soul winner than you are now. Maybe that's not the case, but maybe it is. And in our text here in Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse number 13, we see that the people of Israel are going to rediscover something that they had let go for a long, long, long time. Now, God had blessed them during that time. The Lord had done some wonderful things for them during that time. But that does not mean that they were doing everything that God wanted them to do. So let's go ahead and look at Nehemiah chapter 8. I'll read from verse 13 all the way down to verse 
18, 13 to 18. And on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of the people, the priests and the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. That's the feast of Sukkoth that just ended in Israel just this weekend in spite of the war. And that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the street of the water gate, and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths, and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, that's Joshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we beg you that you would use this passage of Scripture to show us something in our lives personally, collectively, maybe as a couple, as a family, Show us where we can improve or how we can be transformed. Show us an area, at least an area, for each of us where we ought to grow. Help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Help us to uh, know where you would like each of us to be edified, to grow, to take a next step, or perhaps even to return, to rediscover something that we knew, that we know, but that we had let go. And we will give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. For 24 years now, you've seen God's hand of blessing on this place. Anybody here was here from the first day? Anybody been here from the first day all the way until today? Well, many of you have joined, some, but most of you probably have joined along the way, and praise God for that. And you've seen growth, you have seen God's favor, you've seen God's blessing. You've seen families restored, probably. You've seen families grow. You have seen many things, and you, we need to be grateful for all the wonderful things that God has done. However, none of us, personally or collectively, none of us want to simply sit down and simply think that we have arrived. And I know you don't think that, and I definitely do not think that for myself. And here's a lesson that I believe each of us ought to internalize personally. Do not think that the blessing of God that you see is there because God does not want to transform you further. Let me re repeat that. God wants to transform you even further, and he is not blessing us because we've arrived. He is blessing us because he is good, and because he is gracious, and he is merciful. I'm usually quick to say that, and I mean this, when people come to our church, if they say something positive, I'll say, well, it's by his mercy. Because if, if I got what I deserved, I would be in a place called hell. And anything more than that is his grace, and it's his mercy. And what God does is in spite of me a lot of the time. Now here in Nehemiah chapter 8, we see a very patient God. Aren't you glad we have a patient and long-suffering God? A God that is willing to bless you 
even if you don't have it all figured out yet. A God who is willing to be patient as you toil and you labor, and as a child learning to walk, you stumble and fall and rise again, and stumble and fall and rise again. And our Heavenly Father, who is so good and so gracious, He is holy, and He will sometimes chastise His children when He needs to, but He is merciful and He is good and He is gracious and He is patient. And here in Nehemiah chapter 8, He had been patient with them, even though they had ceased for a very long time to do what God was expecting of them. They had not celebrated a particular feast that the Lord had commanded them to celebrate. God had told them, you are going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. However, they had not done so. They had abandoned that completely. Now, as I was thinking about this, I thought, that is amazing. I mean, they had great kings over the years, such as, for example, uh, King David. You know, for all the years that they had King David as king, they never obeyed God in this particular area. They had King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, a great man of faith. When Rabshakeh, the, the Assyrian general, comes and gives him this nasty letter, Hezekiah takes the letter, goes into the temple and before the Lord, and as you know, God gave him a great victory. Just a, a very godly, not a perfect, but a godly king. But in all the days of King Hezekiah, they never obeyed this particular command of God. They had a great revival under Josiah. Josiah becomes king at a very young age. And, uh, and one day he is convicted that they are not following the Lord and they, they will renovate the temple. And Hilkiah the priest comes running to Josiah all excited. He says, we have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And it's a wonderful day and they have a great revival under Josiah. But in all the days of Josiah the king, they never obeyed this particular command of God. I mean, they had great leaders. They had wonderful godly men sometimes at the, at the helm, and yet they never observed the Feast of Tabernacles. This was one of the three great festivals of Israel. It came at the end of the agricultural year, and they would build these, basically these little shacks, these booths, and they would take the branches, as we read about, and they would go and live under these makeshift tents to remember, to commemorate their deliverance out of Egypt. In Leviticus chapter 23, they have, been told, they have been told to do this. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse uh, 33, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. And yet, until this passage in Nehemiah, from Joshua all the way to Nehemiah, in spite of David, in spite of Hilkiah, in spite of Josiah, in spite of all the revivals they might have had, they never did this. And never. Today it's called Sukkoth, as I mentioned. And when I was a prison chaplain in Montreal a few years ago, as missionaries, our financial support had somewhat decreased. And rather than raise more support, I decided to become a prison chaplain part-time. So I would start by going eight hours a month, so I mean, a couple hours a week, to this prison, this federal penitentiary, not too far from 
uh, from, from where I live, about an hour away. It was a great opportunity. I mean, the federal government was paying my gas to get there and back, and they were paying me $24 an hour just to preach the gospel. Can you imagine that? Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau, was paying me to preach the gospel to inmates. I thought that was pretty neat. Literally, I would go to the prison, and I would sit in this little office, and the inmates who wanted to talk to a pastor or to a chaplain would come and share their problems with me, and we see, saw a number of them come to the Lord. It was a wonderful thing. However, one of them who came to me, his name was Moisha. Moisha was not a Christian. Moisha was actually an Orthodox Hasidic Jew. And he was in jail for quite some time for something he did, and he was in a wheelchair. And he was the only practicing Hasidic Jew in the entire prison. And I was the only one who was kind to him, apparently, among the chaplains. So he would come and talk, and I would ask him questions, and I would try to argue, not argue, but reason with him from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And one day he came to me, he says, uh, Eric, would you help me with something? I said, with what? He said, this is the Feast of Sukkoth. I said, okay, refresh my memory here. He says, well, I need to build a booth out in the prison yard, and you're, I'd like you to help me to do that. Okay. So I carried this wood, this lumber, and he was wheeling himself along in his wheelchair, and we got to the, this chain-link fence, and the warden had given permission for him to build a booth, just a, a little makeshift roof and two walls, and he would park his wheelchair in the booth, and he would simply do his, whatever it is, his prayers or whatever they were, they were doing. And then we would go back, and then I would try to show him from the scriptures, again, from the Old Testament, book of Isaiah and other places, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But, and then sometimes it was the Day of Atonement, and they liked to blow their trumpet, their shofar, and he'd come, hey, come outside, I'm going to blow my trumpet. So I'd come go outside, and he'd be like, and he would blow his trumpet. I tried to be kind to him the best I could. But he was very zealous about this feast of Sukkoth, or this Feast of Tabernacles, even in prison. But here in Nehemiah chapter 8, they haven't done this for hundreds of years, from Joshua all the way to Nehemiah. And what I want us to remember this morning, they rediscovered something that God had wanted them to do that they had let go. And for them, the way to progress, or the way forward with God, was not simply to learn new things and to do them, it was to rediscover what they had not been doing properly and to do it. I want us to notice, first of all, that we should rediscover what we've abandoned. In verses 13 through 15, well, we need to rediscover what we have let go, what we have neglected. Most independent Baptist churches that I know do not suffer from a lack of knowledge. Usually, Doctrine is preached straightforward, and you could go to any book of the Bible in a, the average independent Baptist church that I know, and you would get a biblical explanation of what that passage means. Theological ignorance is not usually the problem. However, for many of us, and I'm including myself in this statement for sure, we don't always do what we know. And therefore, for us, the way forward in our Christian lives is not always discovering something that we don't know. Oftentimes, it's rediscovering something that we know 
but that we have not really been practicing. How many of you, don't raise your hands here, but just inside, how many of you have ever made something right with God and you knew the whole time you should, but you just were not practicing? Perhaps pastor got up in church, Pastor White preached on, I don't know, the necessity of prayer. And you were sitting there in the pew, and the Holy Spirit began to deal with you that you hadn't been praying like you ought to. And maybe you came and rededicated yourself as a prayer warrior, somebody who was going to spend time with God. I remember, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home, and I knew a lot of things, you know, seldom as a teenager did I come to church and hear a message and been like, wow, I have never heard that before. That's rare. I mean, my own son sometimes, it drives me nuts, you know. I'll, I'll tell him something, he'll finish my sentence for me. Yeah, yeah, Dad, I know, I know. Now, is he the model perfect Christian? I praise God for what God is doing in his life. He's like me. We all need to make some progress. And it's not usually because we don't know. It's not because we haven't read it. But oftentimes the way forward, and that's true for a church, that's true for a person, that's true for a family, is to rediscover what we have abandoned. I was a well-known pastor in New York City, and I won't name him because I really don't agree with everything he's written over the years, but I respect his testimony and what God has done through him. Well, he wrote this, he said, in the second half of my adult life, he says, I discovered prayer. I had to. In the fall of 1999, he says, I taught a Bible study course on the Psalms. And it became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks in New York City after 9-11, when our whole city sank into a kind of corporate clinical depression, even as it rallied. He says this, he says, For my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife, Kathy, struggled with the effect of Crohn's disease. Finally, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, the gut 9-11, Crohn's disease, and cancer, all at once. At one point during all this, my wife urged me to do something with her that we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. So this is a pastor of a big church in New York. He says, she asked me to pray with her every night. She used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. As I remember it, she said something like this. Imagine that you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss taking this pill or you would die. Would you forget to take this pill? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you would not forget. You would never miss. And she said, if we do not pray together to God, she said, I will not make it because of everything that we're facing. She says, I will not. We have to pray. We cannot let it slip out of our minds. We have before us the need to pray. Now, I don't know everyone personally this morning, nor can I even honestly stand here and say, this is what Grace Baptist Church needs. I had to pray for you, and I praise God for you. But I know for me, and I presume that you and I are in the same boat as human beings and disciples of Christ, that personally, 
There's two ways that you as a person could grow in your Christian life, could move forward. And perhaps as a church, maybe there's two ways that you could go. Actually, I think there's only one. There would be two possible ways. The first one would be, and perhaps this applies to you personally, you could discover something that you don't know and then do it. So, for example, you could come to church, pastor could get up and preach, and you're like, wow, I have never heard that before. I'm going to do that. I've had moments like that in my life. You know, you go and somebody says something like, wow, I didn't know the Bible said that. I mean, when I was a child, sometimes the pastor would say something. We're going to do that. And then by discovering, perhaps you haven't been saved very long. Perhaps it's only been a few years. Perhaps you haven't even read through the Bible yet in its entirety. And there's still things that you honestly don't yet know. And praise God for the room for growth and for God's patience. And when you discover something gives you the opportunity to move forward. But perhaps you're here, and you've been saved for, I don't know, 20 years, maybe 40, maybe 10. And honestly, it's very rare that you hear a message or a lesson, and you think, well, I've never heard that before. It never happens. Because, and I don't say this negatively, but you've pretty much heard it all. All the messages about the deity of Christ, about the importance of prayer, the inspiration of the Word of God, the importance of meditating the Word of God, the importance of sharing your faith, of winning souls. I mean, you've heard it. For those of us who've been around and heard so much teaching and have intellectual knowledge of these things, the way forward is by rediscovering that which we've let go. Now that's, I I can't even make a blanket statement here. I I can't say everyone needs this one thing because for one of us it could be we need to return to God in this area of our life and in another one it could be return in this area of our life and another one it could be return in this area. So it's going to be different for everyone but it's important for each of us to go back and to rediscover what we let go. The church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation was in this situation. In the seven churches in Revelation, Jesus writes a letter to each of them. And in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he speaks to the church at Ephesus. And this is a very famous verse. And he said, he, Jesus expresses a lot of things that he appreciates about that church. But he says to them, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, Because thou hast left thy first love. In other words, today, church at Ephesus, you are not what you once were. Now, I'm not, honestly, as I stand before you this morning, I'm not talking to the church at Ephesus. They're in heaven today. To be honest, I'm half talking to you. And I'm talking to myself. Can I, Eric Levy, as I stand before you this morning, Can I say that there are areas in my life where I am not what I used to be? Are there areas in your life? You know, maybe you used to be here Saturday morning for outreach, for soul winning, but you haven't come in a while. And maybe at the office you used to seize opportunities to witness and now you don't. Brad, maybe you used to lead your family in a collective family devotions praying together. Maybe you used to. I don't know. 
I could multiply the hypothetical examples. But are, is there an area in your life, be honest with yourself, with the Holy Spirit showing you, is there an area where you're not what you used to be? And you're sort of like the church at Ephesus, which had lost something. And Jesus says to them, remember, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. So the first step is to remember. And then he says, repent, that's desire to change, an inward change of mind and attitude that is going to then produce an outside change. And do the first works. In other words, go back to doing what you used to do. And he says, or else I will come to thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But I want us to, we're in Nehemiah chapter 8, not only do we need to rediscover where, what we've abandoned, but secondly, we have to return. And he just said this to the, to the church at Ephesus. He said to them, repent and do the first works. We need to repent. Now here in Nehemiah chapter, or return, here in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 16, notice it says, so the people went forth. So Ezra is going to read the law. They're going to hear, what? This feast of tabernacles? What? And then he, they read it and they're like, wow, we've never done that since Joshua. You mean to tell me this whole time God wanted us to do that? Now remember, many of these folks probably were illiterate. Uh, they probably didn't all have a copy of the Old Testament in their homes. So, you know, they knew what they'd heard. Perhaps they knew what was read. And here Ezra reads it publicly to all of them, and they rediscover this idea that they're supposed to practice this Feast of Tabernacles at the end of harvest. And they haven't been doing it. So they return to it. Verse 16, they went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house. And they did this, and notice verse 17, and all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths, for since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had the children of Israel done so, and, they, and there was very great gladness. Secondly, return to what you have abandoned. I would encourage you, if you're taking a bulletin or a piece of paper or I don't know what, before this Sunday school lesson is over, I would, I'm not, nobody's going to check, but I would encourage you to do this. Could you jot down one thing? Just one. I mean, three, fine, but one. One area of your life as a Christian where you could return to how it was, to how you used to be more obedient to God in that area. I'll give you a personal example. I already mentioned prayer. There was a time in my life when I prayed more, and then one day the Lord dealt with me. He says, Eric, not only do I expect all my children to pray, but as a pastor, Eric, you ought to spend a lot more time in the ministry of the Word and in prayer, as, in, as the apostles did in Acts chapter 6. There are certain things in your ministry, Eric, you should delegate to others to make more time for prayer. I read a book. Again, the book isn't perfect, 
but it was how to get yourself to pray 60 minutes a day nonstop. Is it a sin not to do that? No. But the premise of the book was Jesus said to his disciples in Gethsemane, could you not wake, be awake? Could, could you not pray with me for an hour? Now, I don't believe that's a biblical command that every Christian should pray 60 minutes a day. No. But the Holy Spirit told me, Eric, in your situation and with the needs that you're facing, this is what I want you to do. And I felt, really felt that the Holy Spirit wanted me to emphasize that. And the Lord just dealt with me, Eric, you used to pray more than you do, and I had great joy when I returned to it. And I, re I rededicated myself to praying like I used to. I remember my wife and I one time being convicted because we were missing too many opportunities to hand out tracts in our day-to-day -day living. As we went to the store, as we went here, sometimes we did, sometimes we didn't. And then the Lord convicted us to be much more consistent. Now, there was a day where we hardly missed an opportunity. I remember when I was in Bible college. Now, I'm from Montreal. Now, Montreal has a lot of Roman Catholic cathedrals, three huge ones. People from all over the world, Pastor Devian knows. I mean, you, the St. Joseph's Oratory on top of Mount Royal. When I was in Bible college, I was so zealous about handing out tracts that my friend and I went into the oratory and were handing out tracts inside the cathedral. We got kicked out by security and they walked us all the way to the street. They didn't want us in there. Now, was that the right way to go about it? I don't know. But we were so zealous about that. And then as my Christian life kept going, and you know, I went from great zeal and it went down, 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 down. It didn't peter out, but it wasn't what it needed to be. The day came where we said, you know what? I'm going to rediscover what it is to try to not miss an opportunity to hand out a gospel tract as I go about my day. Just to return to something that we had abandoned. We're all human, and our lives aren't linear. If we don't maintain certain things, they tend to decrease and sometimes disappear. You know, it's not what you hear and what you know that's going to cause you to be blessed. It's what you do. Knowing doesn't bring blessing. Intellectual knowledge does not bring the hand of God on your life. It's when you do what you know. That's when God is going to use you. I mean, you can know you ought to witness, but if you don't, God's not going to use you to see people come to Christ. You, you, you can know that you ought to pray, but if you don't, you know, in James chapter 1, verses 23 and to 25, James 1, 23, 25, it says, For if any being a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed. You want to be blessed? I don't want to be blessed. And I don't mean that in a financial riches kind of way. I, I don't mean it in a health and wealth kind of way. But I want God to use my life. I, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant when I get to heaven. I want to be blessed. To do that, or to be blessed, I should say, I must be a doer of what I know. And if you're anything like me, sometimes we know more than we do. From years of Christian experience, we know more than we do. So in Ezra, sorry, in Nehemiah, what did they, they, they read? They read. And as they read out loud in the word of God, 
and they immersed themselves in the word there, they discovered and then they put something into practice. And in, verse, in, in this verse, in verse number 17, there was a great joy that came because God promises satisfaction to those who do what they know that they ought to do. There's a true story that happened in Afghanistan in the early 1970s. This was before the Russians went to Afghanistan. This was before the Taliban regime in Afghanistan. And at the time, the government of Afghanistan allowed a small Christian church to service international people who worked there. So Afghans were not technically allowed to go to church, but they allowed this particular church just for foreigners. Still countries like Dubai and other places might allow a church just for nationals, uh, sorry, for internationals, not for locals, but for people who may be foreign workers, etc. And there was a group of young people that went to the Middle East, and the leader of the group was a man named Len, L-E-N. And they, with some trepidation, this group accepted the invitation to go to Kabul in Afghanistan, and um, they were going to give their testimonies publicly. And Len made the teenagers write out exactly what they were going to say. I mean, they, he was making them write a script. When you get up there, you don't ad-lib. You don't just go spouting off. I want you to say exactly what you wrote so they could control the narrative, control the message. He said to his teenagers, this is a strict Islamic government. If you say the wrong thing, you could end up in prison and you could jeopardize the lives of Christians who live in this country. Memorize the words of your testimonies and don't you dare stray from them when you go. So they were going to, the, to do this concert in downtown Kabul, and they were going to share this, these testimonies during the concert. And they were warned, stick to the script. The night comes of this concert there in Kabul, and almost a thousand Afghans fill the hall, spilled outside the doors of the hall to listen to this young group of young, this group of young people sing. All went well. They sang their songs. Most of the teenagers just said exactly what they had written down on the page so they wouldn't offend anyone. Until one teenager put his instrument down and went off script. And he said, I would like to tell you about my best friend, and his name is Jesus. And I want to tell you about the difference that he has made in my life. Len, the group leader who had told him to not go off script, he's off the side on stage and he's going like this to the kid. Stop, stop, knock it off, stop. Ignoring him, the teenager proceeded to give a detailed account of how Jesus Christ had transformed his life. Len later said, I was practically beside myself I knew the consequences, and I sat with my head in my hands just waiting for the problems to start. But instead, the most amazing thing happened. The Minister of Cultural Affairs for Afghanistan stood and walked to the stage to respond. And he said, We have seen many American young people come through this country, and most of them come for drugs, but we have not seen or heard from young people like you. 
God's love is a message that my country needs. And how thrilled, young man, I am to hear you, said the minister. You are an example for the youth of Afghanistan to follow in the future. And I would like to invite you to expand your tour so that you can visit every college and also give that same message on Kabul radio. I will make it happen. Len was dumbfounded, and he gets the group together. He says, did you hear what this said? And now you better repeat that testimony and don't change a word. Don't go off script. They gave several performances around Kabul and around Afghanistan. And one day, I'm wrapping up this story. The last day, they met J. Christie Wilson, born of missionary parents in Iran. He had spent 22 years in Afghanistan. And he led a Christian church and founded a school for the blind. He said, kids, I want to show you something. He took this group down to a cemetery, the only cemetery in Afghanistan where infidels could be buried. And he worked to, a, he walked, sorry, to an ancient gravestone and showed it to them. And he said, this man here worked for 30 years to translate the Bible into the Afghan language. 30 years, not a single convert. And in his grave Lex lies next, in the grave next to him, sorry, lies the man who replaced him, who worked for 25 years and baptized the first Afghan Christian. And they went through the cemetery showing the stories of these early missionaries and their fates. He said, this man here for 30 years moved rocks. His replacement, he did nothing but dig furrows. And you kids now are bringing in the harvest. Len says it was one of the greatest moments in my life. I watched her faces and they realized that they were an answer to prayer that had come from decades. My point is this, I share the story to this. Here's a group of people who for by and large were still doing a lot of good things, but they had given up on doing what they used to do, which was to share their faith. That night, this kid went off script and began to do what they all used to do, began to witness. And God did something fantastic. And I want to, I'll wrap up the Sunday school lesson with this. I would notice in verse 17 that you will rejoice. You will rejoice when you return to what you've rediscovered. And verse 17, and there was very great gladness. You will find gladness by returning to what God has told you to do. In Psalm 19, verses 10 through 12, it talks about the word of God, about his commandments. It says, and in keeping of them, there is great reward. I would like to ask you to write something down privately. Is there something in your life that you don't do today like you used to do it? Is there an area of your life in which you used to obey God and today you don't? You know, I would not have the presumption to come up to this pulpit and tell collectively Grace Baptist Church, here's where, you know, you could do better. First of all, I don't know, and quite frankly, I think you guys are doing way better than we are in my place of service, and I admire your testimony and what you do. But I know that I'm a human and you're, a human, you're humans too. And I think 
on your 24th anniversary, if Grace Baptist Church is going to continue to move forward, I really don't believe that you need to learn new things. I think Pastor White has done a fan and his staff have done a fantastic job at teaching the Word of God. So it's not about learning new things. But I think if you as an individual, and a bunch of individuals, return to what we know to do, rediscover what we'd let go, you know what I think will happen by your 25th anniversary? I think the church will take a step forward. More people will come to Christ. More people will hear the gospel. More prayers will be answered. God will manifest himself in fresh ways. Why? Because there is great joy in rediscovering what we let go. How is your relationship with his word? Does it need to go back to what it used to be? Have you abandoned your first love? Um, when was the last time that you didn't just pray at a meal or pray on your way out the door, but you spent some quality time in prayer like you used to? When was the last time that you intentionally struck, struck up a conversation with someone, saying, hey, I, I just want to tell you what Jesus did for me? Uh, what else could the Holy Spirit be prompting you about? I, I don't know. It's going to be probably as varied as the number of people in this room. But I'm asking you to ask the Lord Jesus. To ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to rediscover. I'll be honest with you. Even as these words are coming out of my mouth, the Holy Spirit is showing me something in my heart that probably I should return to or at least rediscover and do like I used to. Make time for it. Make the effort. It's not about learning new things all the time. And when we do, that's wonderful. But it's about rediscovering what we know going back to it. And for most of us in Bible preaching churches, that's the way forward. And that's the way to growth. And that's the way to becoming more used of God is to continue to do or go back to doing what we ought to have been doing all along. Here in Nehemiah 8, very simple. From Joshua all the way to Nehemiah. They haven't done this feast. Under David, they didn't. Under Hezekiah, they didn't. Under Josiah, they didn't. Even under Samuel, they didn't. They didn't do it. Now they rediscovered it. And they had great joy. I want you to have great joy. And great joy comes by rediscovering and returning to what God wants us to do in each area of our lives. Heavenly Father, thank you for your patience. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.